0: Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast, I'm Ruth and as well as this podcast I also write a personal finance blog here in New Zealand called, unsurprisingly, The Happy Saver. Because New Zealand is a really small place, it is seriously more like a village and the people I seek out are often uncomfortable having their story told in public. You will hear their stories from me and not directly from them so that they can retain their privacy. Plus, you probably know by now I could talk for an Olympic sport and the chats with the people I phone up are long. So by doing it this way, you get a greatly edited version of the conversations I've had. And in those conversations, I just chat to people and I learn their story and I condense it down so that you can hear helpful, relatable stories from fellow Kiwis who are sharing their experiences, their tips and point of view on personal finance right here in New Zealand. Today, I'm introducing you to Fatima, Now this is not her real name, she is wanting to fly under the radar, but I first heard from her back in mid-2019 when she emailed me and we have been back and forth a few times since then. By working hard and being at the right place at the right time, she had managed to buy a number of properties, but there was a tipping point one day when despite the net worth she had built up, she found herself seriously short on cash and having to borrow money from Fano. Fatima is not one to muck around, so after listening to these very podcasts, she decided to implement some change and reintroduce some balance into her life. But before I tell you all about Fatima, I just have a quick word from today's fabulous sponsor, Pocketsmith. Every time I'm visiting my Pocketsmith dashboard, my emergency fund balance is staring me in the face, nice and bold and just there, and I always relax when I see it, knowing that if some unexpected big bill comes up, I can cover it. Pocketsmith caters for all walks of life and I worked out how much I should have in this fund by using the Pocketsmith income and expense statement, which had been automatically tracking every single expense, to work out my monthly average spend, which is entirely unique to me. From time to time I dip into it, maybe for a car repair, maybe for an emergency vet bill, and it just instantly cures a financial headache, giving me a sense of calm control over our finances. If you want to supercharge your finances with Pocketsmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of Pocketsmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to Pocketsmith.com forward slash the Happy Saver. That's Pocketsmith.com forward slash the Happy Saver. Fatima was born in Iraq, and in about 1997, she moved to New Zealand with her family when she was just 11 years old, without knowing a word of English. They came here because Iraq was under sanctions, and her parents wanted a different life for themselves and their family. For four long years, her parents applied to countries all over the world, and New Zealand happened to be the one that was open to immigrants, and it was here that they finally got a visa which allowed them to come. And I'm so glad they did. She was an absolute pleasure to talk to, and long after we hung up the phone, I reflected on our conversation. Both of her parents were highly educated engineers, but in what is probably a classic story of underemployment for new immigrants, they operated a takeaway shop in Auckland for a period of time until they could get settled and get employment back in the field of engineering. It took a good year to do that, and they were then able to save up and buy their first home within two years of arriving here, and they've been working in that field ever since. Fatima settled into school despite knowing no English, and she said that if you are from the Middle East, you always do quite well at school, as it's sort of forced upon you. She said that if you get less than 80% in anything, you are looked upon as, how can I put this gently, as a bit of a loser. So, you were expected to do well at school, and that's certainly the attitude she had. Not doing well was not an option, even if you couldn't speak the language. She said she had an Arabic to English dictionary to help her translate. She was already well ahead of our math curriculum due to the school she went to in Iraq and if she didn't know something she studied until she worked it out or asked someone to explain it. So she said she actually slotted into the New Zealand schooling system pretty easily. It was planned and expected that she go to university and if you hadn't picked up on it already she's pretty bright. She fast-tracked school and started university at the age of just 17 and completed a Bachelor of Science degree and then straight into a two-year master's. She was done and dusted by the age of about 21 or 22, which is pretty remarkable. She said that uni gave her a shortcut in life, but it was not her passion, it was just something that she had to do, and thinks that one day if she has kids of her own, and if they were passionate about something that didn't require uni, she would let them follow that passion. Although she lived at home while she studied, because culturally it was natural for her siblings and herself to stay living at home until they were married, and she had part-time jobs, she still took out a student loan to cover her fees, and she took all of the course-related costs as well. She genuinely had no idea what her loan amount ended up as, but she was really fortunate that her first employer, which was Fisher & Paykel Healthcare, had a scheme where instead of paying into her KiwiSaver, whatever she paid onto her student loan, they would match. This was back in 08-09, soon after KiwiSaver had begun, And I don't think such a thing would exist today as from what I understand legally, they would have to pay into her KiwiSaver if she wanted to join and they could not opt out in this way. But don't get me wrong though, that was a great move for them to match her student loan repayments. And although this would have started to make a dent in her debt, it took her about eight years to pay it off in full. Her starting salary as a scientist was $50,000 before tax. And looking back, she said she doesn't want to sound ungrateful but she says that they really took advantage of new grads because in the area she was working in, which was clinical research, it's such a lucrative area for companies that they could have paid her more. She keeps that thought with her though in the years ahead whenever she has the chance to negotiate her salary. In year one of working, and remember she was just aged about 21 or 22, she was still living at home and she proceeded to spend every cent she earned. She didn't save anything was living at home and living paycheck to paycheck. Despite having had part-time jobs while at school and throughout her study, she didn't know anything about saving or money, which actually surprised me. I simply assumed that given her parents were so proactive when it comes to education, that this would have entailed financial knowledge as well. Just shows that I should never assume. She said that whilst her parents taught her nothing about money, they were not big spenders themselves. And while she was spending her own money and not theirs, they didn't worry. Her new job wore thin pretty fast, and she didn’t really enjoy it, having to be at her desk by 8:30 and stuck there till five, with every part of her day being monitored, and she thought to herself, "Is this the rest of my life?" Well, a timely moan to a friend of hers in a similar role was about to give her the jolt she needed. This friend was a year ahead of her in the workforce, and in response to her saying she felt trapped at work, they said, "Oh, yeah, I get how you feel, so I have a year's salary saved up meaning that I could leave my job right now if I wanted to and I'd be fine. When this friend at her work told her about their emergency fund, she was so darn jealous that he had this exit plan that she decided she wanted that too. So it was envy and jealousy, she said, that started her saving. And it happened overnight. She simply stopped spending money. She didn't buy anything much at all and just went cold turkey. She packed her own lunch, She didn't go out to bars and she remembers literally saving up $25,000 in no time at all, probably within about eight months and it was not all that difficult to do once she set her mind to it. I often say in emails that I write to people who have these aha moments that inside every person who has told themselves they are bad with money is a person who is outstanding with money just screaming to be let loose and this was Fatima. When I asked her if she has friends that she can talk about money with now, she said that yes, there are some super close friends she feels comfortable talking openly with. And the night before we spoke, in fact, she went out with a friend and they ended up talking about their salaries, amongst other things. I was curious to know how we could inspire others to flick the switch like that to go from being a spender to a saver. The trick she said was that she now had a goal. When she was working, she was earning money and she didn't think she would leave home until she was married. She had all this extra money coming in, so she thought she might just as well spend it. Plus, she felt she needed to reward herself a bit for being broke as a student for five long years. Seeing that her friend had created an exit plan from their own workplace and knowing that she already felt claustrophobic in hers, it created a competitive environment and a goal. When she had this goal of saving up a year's worth of money, it instantly gave her something to aim for, and it was that goal that fired her up. She had not even gone looking for it, feeling stuck like she was. And she said that it honestly just sort of happened, the right conversation at the right time. Initially, she was just saving to have the money, to have the options, to quit work or change jobs if and when she wanted to. But then a new competition started up in the form of her friends all starting to get married and buy houses. And she was like, hey, I might not be getting married anytime soon, but I can buy a house on my own. So at the age of about 25 or 26, This was her new goal. She said that she got obsessed with the goal to buy a home, never with the intention of living in it because she remained living at home, but so that she could say, Yep, I can tick buying a house off my list. I tell you, Fatima has a very competitive nature with a tinge of jealousy thrown in. And although her parents didn't give her much financial education growing up, they were right behind her when it came to visiting open homes and advising on the process, and they provided good support systems to help her navigate home ownership. At this point in Auckland, house prices were starting to really heat up and it took her a year to buy, all the while adding to her savings. She purchased a brick and tile, 140 square metre, two bedroom home, which was in a block of three in Auckland, with a deposit of a mere $25,000. She bought it for $509,000 in 2010-2011, meaning a mortgage of $484,000 which to me at least is a hefty amount for a 25-year-old earning 50 grand a year. At that time, they were just changing the rules to mean you needed a 20% deposit, she said, and she just sneaked in with her 5% deposit. It was touch and go though, as she had pre-approval from two banks, but one reneged on the low deposit and pushed her up to 20% instead. So she went with the other bank, which happened to be ANZ. It just goes to show that the borrower is always slave to the lender, I think, But for her, this is her biggest financial triumph to date, getting into the housing market with a tiny 5% deposit because she got super lucky. She said it was fine being a landlord and self-managing the property and she got good tenants in the beginning. To set the initial rent, she had a property manager go through and they gave her a price guide of $390 a week to charge for rent. She called herself an easygoing landlord, never doing inspections during a tenancy as she believes it's their home to enjoy. But each time a new tenant came, she would put the rent up. I asked her what her business plan for this property was at the time of buying, given it was clearly purchased with that intention to be a business. In line with what I would think is the majority of people who buy property to rent in New Zealand, she said with complete honesty, because she is refreshingly honest, there was zero planning. And I'm not giving Fatima a hard time here. She was the first to admit that a lot of things in her life have just sort of happened with no major plan, yet have worked out, but I've observed a similar lack of forward planning with countless others who don't really think too far beyond buying the property. And when I hear of rents being increased year on year or every time the property is newly tenanted, I also wonder where the business strategy is in setting these rents or is it just largely down to guesswork as I suspect it is. Today she rents the home for $600 a week to a family member and the property has an estimated value of $1,030,000 an increase over 10 years of $440,000 with a mortgage of $539,000. Yep, she now owes more than when she bought it, which is due in part to borrowing an additional $100,000 to renovate the property and change it from a two-bedroom, one-bathroom home to a three-bedroom, two-bathroom home. Prior to renting to her last tenants didn't care for the property that well at all, so there was work to do to bring the standard back up. And then to make it right for her family, she is undertaking this extensive renovation. And this is where I see her investment becoming a little less like an investment and more of a social good, providing a warm home at an affordable price for a tenant. Technically, she could raise the rent given what others are charging. She could charge more. But due to it being family, she can't put the rent up. They won't stand for it and she thinks that is fair. Nor can she sell the property at any point while they live in it And it's looking like they're settling in for the long term and really making this place their long term home with no plans to buy their own. And if they did, it would not be this property. The rent almost covers all expenses for this property. She tops it up by maybe $10 a week, she thought. So it is self-sustaining. But it came back to my original question to her. What is the plan for this investment? She has increased the debt load on it. She has fixed rental income. She tops it up and she can never sell it because she would never do that to family. Yet. It has equity of about $491,000 that she can never utilise except if she wants to borrow more money for another property. Don't get me wrong, I really like that her tenants have housing security, but to me she seems to have backed herself into a corner given that Kiwis seem to invest in property for capital gains, which given her situation are unusable. What do you think? But let's rewind a bit though, because after buying this house and ticking it off her to-do list, she was still not overly happy at her work. Two years out of uni, she moved to a new company that didn't have a New Zealand office and it meant that she got to work from home, which she loved. She felt that she got a lot of her freedom back, plus her salary increased to $65,000 before tax. She set to work, working a lot of extra hours for what she came to see was once again a lower salary and she realised that if she became a senior scientist, that was where the bigger money was. So she figured that every time she switched roles, she could ask for more money. So, two years later, she stepped up in seniority and in pay to $80,000 a year. But with it came an increase in workload and, of course, in responsibility, and she began to explore moving to part time work. By this time, the equity had really started to grow in her Auckland house as house prices began to rise, and a family member pointed out that now, while she was still working full time, it would be a good time to buy a second house. If she went to part time work, a bank would be less likely to lend to her, they said. Auckland house prices were now out of her reach, so she started to look further south in Topor. Once again, this time in 2015, the right conversation at exactly the right time led her straight to a property. This time she needed a 30% deposit, as banks were back then, just like they are now, trying to rein in property investors like Fatima. Her deposit was made up using equity from her Auckland house, plus $9,000 of cash that she had saved, and this bought her a $239,000 property. Then, aged 30, and with the lending in place, the property secured and the property manager in place, she up and quit her job. She picked up a -a three-day-a-week job where she set the terms and the hours that she worked, and she was in a senior role and earning $65,000 a year for her three-day week. I asked why, at the age of just 30, she was so driven to cut back to part-time. When she hit 30, she was back to thinking, what's the point? So that is why she made the change. She said that she was living a bit of a double life with lots of interests outside of work that she wanted to pursue, and working full-time with lots of extended hours and lots of overseas travel was really infringing on her private life. She has lots of artistic pursuits. In fact, when I asked her what the most extravagant thing was that she had spent money on recently, it was on her art. And she loves to exercise and look after herself, but this part of her life was always taking a back seat to her paid work. And she was sick of it. She wanted more time to look after herself. And I love that because I'm all about getting your money in the right places early so that you can have options later to cut back on work. She has always been into self-development and was always researching things like happiness, minimalism and creating a simplified no-drama life. She was already a senior in her career, yet she had no ambition to go higher. She just didn't want to head down that corporate route. Although she enjoys her career, It's just a way to make money and life was too short and she wanted a more rounded life. While she is single and with no responsibilities, now is the time to take a few chances and do what makes her happy, waking up each day and enjoying each day. Once again, there were no big plans, just doing what made her happy really. She worked that three day a week job for two years up until 2017 and at this point, she decided to go it alone and give contracting a go working for herself. She marketed herself to every contact, she had ever made in the clinical research industry and told them all that she was taking on short-term contracts. It took months for the work to build, but build it did, and she entered a period of intense and lucrative work where she got to travel to some pretty cool countries. She charged by the hour somewhere between $135 to $150, and she finally felt like she was earning what she had been helping all those other companies earn for all of those years. This is when she earned the maximum amount of money so far in her career, topping out at an impressive $290,000 a year before tax. She also moved out of Auckland to the Bay of Plenty where she moved in with family and paid board while she began to look to buy a home for herself. This turned out to take a lot longer than she anticipated. She went to open home after open home, auction after auction, but kept missing out on places, finally securing one at the start of 2020. But with COVID arriving at the start of 2020, her contracting work, which often meant overseas travel, started slowly drying up as the year progressed and she had to face facts that she might need to get back into a salaried position so she could have some income security. She secured a role working four days a week and one that would allow her to do contracting work on the side. But at the moment, that extra work is hard to come by and she's actually just too darn tired to do extra anyway. Often during our conversation, she would say that she was lucky with how things just seemed to work out, and I think her incredibly optimistic attitude has a lot to do with this. She had decided to give up looking for a house and stay renting with family, while she worked out what to do next. She had seen an apartment that she liked, but having missed out on so many, she just let it go. Auctions were just too much work. In early 2020, and while sitting, waiting for a flight, it occurred to her to check in on that property and she found it had been passed in at auction. So she rang the agent, viewed it the next day, and put in an offer which was accepted. It was meant to be, she said. And that is her thought for you and I. She encourages us to stop using your brain so much, to justify and analyze every decision you make. Just use your feelings and your instincts more, which is vague advice (laughs) coming from a scientist. She didn't overplan most things. They were feeling-based. Every time she got fed up with her work, she would change and look for an alternative, instead of just sitting and being grateful for just having a job. Each time she felt trapped, she followed her instincts. She paid $628,000 in March 2020 for the Bay of Plenty property that she now calls home, and she took possession just before lockdown in New Zealand, so the timing was perfect. The home was perfect too, but I couldn't help wondering about her financial situation given the amount of debt she must owe and with her work being quieter, how was she coping? She uses a net worth tracker that she's found on the Kiwi website Deep Dish. It is absolutely worth looking it up, and you can find it at thedeepdish.org and just search for net worth tracking. Talk about a no-nonsense approach. Check it out to see what I mean. By this stage, she has three properties, all with mortgages. Her current home has an estimated value of $890,000. Her Auckland property has an estimated value of $1,030,000. Her Topol property has an estimated value of $660,000, so an estimated total value of $2,580,000. She has a debt of $1.3 million, so equity of about $1.28 million, which is not too shabby for a 36-year-old. Also, as a result of these podcasts and hearing about share investing, she did sign up to investing platform Sharesies in May 2019. Investing 50 dollars a week into a wide variety of individual companies and funds in an effort to invest in something outside of property. She is very much looking to invest her money in things she deems to be ethical, and in companies that she also uses, and her list of investments included the following. She's got Air New Zealand. she had good timing because she actually invested $2,000 dollars right when the price crashed at the start of COVID, and the price was down to 80 cents a share, she said. She's got Port Tauronga, ANZ Bank. Fisher & Paykel Healthcare, Convita Honey, Beyond Meat, AMP Capital Ethical Leaders New Zealand Shares Fund, Pathfinder Global Water Fund, but wait, there's more, SmartShares Europe Equities ESG ETF, SmartShares Japan Equities ESG ETF, and her $50 investment across these is all automatic each week, and she admits that there was less than 15 minutes worth of thinking involved in choosing the funds which is not the most ideal investment strategy, if I'm to be perfectly honest. She has about $10,000 invested now, which includes returns of 2360 Not bad for guesswork, nice one. This is the area that she is working to educate herself on so she can create a large investment independent of the housing market. And going forward, I think this will give her the balance that her financial plan is looking for. She said the one phrase that I cringe when I hear and that is I only put money into the share market that I can afford to lose. Personally, I'm well invested in shares, and I've not put one cent in there that I'm okay with losing. And because it is possible to pick a broad-based, low-fee, passive index investment, the chances for success over time are fabulous. Those who pick and choose individual companies and buy and sell shares will more often lose money. Theirs is a form of gambling, really but not those with a long-term approach, so I'm hoping that her growing education around the share market will help her learn this. She signed up to KiwiSaver, which is a share market investment of course, early on, but she had stopped paying into it for a while because she was super angry that back then she could not access it for the deposit on her first house. That was when the scheme was working as it was designed, when you actually saved only for your retirement in it before it became available for first home buyers. But a friend put her straight when they pointed out to her that she was missing out on years and years of government contributions, returns and capital gains by not being involved in the share market. So now her fund is with simplicity growth with a balance of $53,000 and she puts 3% of her wages in there each payday matched by her employer. However, and this is where I love her style, she is in the process of trying to get her employer to contribute 8% to her 3%. I suspect she'll um, actually achieve it too as she's a very good negotiator when it comes to salary. She knows what her company charges her services out for and how much they make out of her. So she is upfront about asking for what she thinks she's worth and will push hard for it. She said that when she decided to become self-employed that it is so simple and straightforward to ask for a raise as she just raised her prices every year, giving her clients enough notice, about 90 days, and even offering to recommend others if the price increases didn't align with their business goals. In return, she provided, she said, an excellent and friendly service and met all project deliverables. Ladies, we could all take a leaf out of Fatima's book here in salary negotiations. Well, things came to a head in mid-2021, and she had a very sobering moment because, Despite her high net worth in equity of one point two eight million and property to the value of two point five eight million, she had no money and debt of one point three million to service. She ended up borrowing money from her mum to cover some expenses, which I imagine is not what any thirty six year old independent woman expects to have to do. She looked at her bank account and whereas she had always kept a really healthy emergency fund of thirty to forty thousand, it was all gone. The $100,000 extension to the mortgage on her Auckland property had all been used up too and she didn't want to go back to the bank and borrow more money but the renovations were costing more than she thought it would. The bills had kept coming in as her contract work had become quieter and quieter due to COVID and she ate into her money bit by bit. She had to act, hence picking up her four-day-a-week job. I think that borrowing $20,000 from her mum was what finally made her question everything. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. Her mum was more than happy to lend her money, but for Fatima, this was the very first time she had ever asked her for money and she set herself a firm timeline to pay it back within three months. And when we spoke on the phone, she had just paid her back in full well ahead of schedule and much to her relief. When I asked her what she would do if she were given $10,000 right now she said that she would put it straight towards the $20,000 builder's bill that she knows is coming. By New Zealand standards given the amount of property she has a stake in she would be considered a success story but she was beginning to feel like her life was a bit out of balance too heavily weighted to housing which brought a feeling of being trapped. Looking at an empty bank account will do that for you. And while the houses have definitely contributed to her growing wealth, then why does she have no money to pay her bills? Where is the balance? Well, now Fatima is on a whole new journey of discovery about becoming more diversified. She said that although it seems like she has done okay with money, she actually knows very little about investing. She feels she just got lucky buying houses at the right time, in the right place. It's now time to change and it's time to plan. She started by telling her tenants in the Taupo property that she was giving them notice that the property would be going on the market. She is doing this so she can pay a big chunk off her own home instead of being house rich and cash poor. She is very much looking forward to that day. But two days after she decided to do that, the hot water cylinder burst. Of course it did. There goes another four grand she needs to find to do that repair. Once again, good fortune came her way when she was looking for someone to sell her home for her A woman who she knew and trusted now sells real estate so it was an easy decision to just use her as she knows she will make the sale and experience pretty easy. So once that house is sold and she is able to pay a chunk off her own home, her first instinct she said is to relax and not aggressively pay off the rest of her home. Up until this point the repayments have been high so it would be nice to take a bit of a break, she feels like she needs a breather. Of course, when you owe a bank money, you sign a contract as to when you will make payments and in her case, she has a fixed mortgage on her home, so she is trying to work out when and how she will restructure her debt. When we spoke, she was leaning towards not breaking her contract, but waiting till the mortgage is up for renewal at the end of this year, 2021, and then making a big lump sum payment. I thought it was time to ask a few of my more standard questions and one was to ask what she thinks the key to becoming a millionaire was. And was this even her goal? It was a big no. Remarkably, she only realised she was a millionaire after she bought her third house. And it was because of a competition she had with a mate where they said the first to get to a million dollars had to buy the other one a ticket to Queenstown. They gave each other 12 months to do it. It was because she started to use a net worth tracker soon after that, that she could see that she was already there. The spreadsheets don't lie, she rightly said. As to what that number means, she said the number itself is not overly important for her. She has a really positive mindset around money. She said that she thinks to herself, I love money and money loves me and because of that there is no negative connotation around it and therefore it just naturally flows to her. She does not aim for a specific number as such but she sees money as a really useful tool and would rather have cash in the bank than a flash car and designer clothes. And for the record, she drives a cheap and trusty Toyota. She is working on creating that same positive mindset when it comes to finding someone to share her life with, because as she said in jest, I'm a great catch, and too right she is. I asked her if she worried about meeting someone who is a financial train wreck, and she said no, not really, because they probably couldn't relate to each other and get along anyway. She is more likely to find someone who is on the same page, she thinks. So how about her three main financial habits, things that she just automatically does? Well, number one, at the moment, it's all a bit of a mess, she said, as she is cash poor and working to fix that. But when she had a regular income, she would always transfer money into her savings first and it was always about $5,000 a month. Number two, once she hit her current cash poor phase, she now only spends $100 a week on groceries. Prior to this, she has never had to watch what she spends before. But she has made it a fun thing though, a bit of a game. And she is very strict on herself. And if she goes out to dinner for $30, she only has $70 for the remainder of the week. No excuses. Although she is treating it as a bit of a game, she is very excited for this phase to be over. And number three, she is quite a minimalist and she is content. The two things often go hand in hand. She has a small 52 square meter apartment, which is full, she said, of beautiful things. She does not cheap out on what she buys, but she also has very few things. She does not have a gym membership. Instead, she steps outside for exercise and she just tries to keep life and the cost of life simple. Her money elevator pitch or a sentence that would sum up her approach to money comes back to what she said about I love money and money loves me. There are aspects in your life where you struggle or shine, Fatima said, and to her, money is not a block. It just always works out. For example, she can't quite work out the math of how she paid her mum back so fast, but it just worked out. It always does. She does not think people are good or bad with money. It is whether you have a positive or negative thought about it. She said that if you think you have a money block that prevents you from getting ahead, explore that block and look to visualize success. Look for affirmations and find some ways to reprogram your subconscious about that stuff. And as to what she might consider her greatest financial flop, There were no standout moments, nothing that she felt super strong about, and it was probably just the place she finds herself in now, ending up with poor cash flow. In hindsight, she probably should have seen it coming, and she should have gone back to permanent employment earlier than she did so that she could get some income coming in. She does have a credit card, but only so she can book travel for her work. She never buys personal items on her card, and in fact, she really hates the concept of credit cards. She thinks they're trying to play on people's insecurities and they trap people into consumer debt. They teach us to spend money that we don't have, she said, and the banks capitalise on that by hitting us with high interest payments. And I'd have to agree, they cause a whole heap of heartache for a whole lot of people who would be much better off if they just use a debit card instead. Normally, she would have an emergency fund of thirty to $40,000, which she keeps separated from her everyday banking account, but this has been slowly eaten away by the renovation on her property but in a way it has served its purpose perfectly. The repair bill was higher than anticipated and that makes it a financial emergency and she was right to use it. She said it feels really odd not having one there at the moment and when the topol property sells and things stabilise, the priority is to build it back up again. Now, I have questions in regards to mortgage debt and when it might get paid off, but as I sat to write this up, I realised that we didn't discuss these questions and an end date to her debt Because actually there does not appear to be one and that comes back to me asking in regards to investing in an investment property, what's the plan exactly? With the Taupo property sold, this will leave one property which for the foreseeable future has a fixed rent on it and can never be sold. I think that Fatima is done with buying houses for the time being and because she can't sell this one, the only way for her to actually get a rental return on it is to pay the debt off in full on this property because that means when the day finally arrives, she will be able to collect the rent and keep the rent for the first time since owning this property. So what tools and resources might she recommend to you and I? Well, that deep dish net worth tracker was a real eye-opener for her, and she checks in on it every few months to see where she is sitting financially, because if she only looked at her bank account, it would tell a whole different story and she'd feel flat broke, when technically she is far from it. As far as other resources though, my blog and podcasts were surprisingly it. I think that with these podcasts in particular, I've spoken to over 50 people now, so there is a whole lot of learning to be taken from hearing how other people handle their money. So to everyone who has let me share their story, thank you. You have helped countless people by just being open and honest. Now, before I wrap up, I just have another quick message from today's sponsor, Pocketsmith. If you want to supercharge your finances with PocketSmith, they've got a deal for you. Happy Saver listeners get a whopping 50% off your first two months of PocketSmith's premium plan. To get your deal, go to pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. That's pocketsmith.com forward slash the happy saver. Fatima wanted to remain anonymous in this podcast purely because she does not want to seem that she is showing off by having acquired a good amount of wealth at a young age. But it's a shame that she and many others think that way. That is what prevents us talking about money, I think. She has done the best she can with the knowledge that came her way at the time, and she should be really proud of that. But I think that had she been able to have an open and honest conversation about money from a young age, someone might have also guided her in the direction of finding some diversification within her investments, because that might have saved her the hassle she now has with being house-rich yet cash-poor. In my experience, an all-or-nothing investment strategy tends to fall down because life happens and it has little regard for your investing. In Fatima's case it was COVID and her contract work winding down that cut off the income that was keeping the ship afloat a bit and had she been more diversified across housing and share market investing she possibly could have held all three homes but we'll never know. But one thing I do know about Fatima is that she is really competitive. And once she is given an opportunity and an idea and some knowledge, she is super decisive and she just gets on with it, which is what she is now doing by selling up the Topor house, paying down debt on her own home and getting back into paid work. And at the age of just 36, she is still protecting that balance that she likes in her life, with time spent working and time also spent going full noise into her artistic and athletic pursuits. So I think that a year from now, she'll have more balance in her whole life and a more stable foundation to build upon. So thanks Fatima, I loved our chat and I really, really look forward to hearing how you progress. So that's it from me this week and I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can always find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave a review and also share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast. And I would love it most if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.